Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today, July 21st, 2022. We are continuing our series, Chronicles of the Kingdom, Lesson 28, The Third Greatest Mystery. My friend who heard this message on Sunday just made fun of me saying, we have a fourth and a fifth greatest mystery. But no, the the title is the third greatest mystery. And let's go ahead and look at scripture. Where is this coming from? Where are these mysteries coming from? 1 Corinthians 13, 13. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. See, the first greatest mystery was the love of God. We talked about the love of God, the power of the love of God. The second greatest mystery, we talked about faith, about its being able to produce the kingdom here on earth. Our faith that produces fruit, it's a mystery. And today, we're going to talk about hope. Faith, hope, and love. It's, 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 it's a mystery. The, the hope that comes from God is a mystery. It's revealed, and yet it's still mysterious. Anyway, let's get into this. Let's talk about it. And I want to begin with this statement. Everything God is doing, or has ever done, or ever will do, is good. That's a meditative pause there. Everything God is doing, has ever done, or ever will do is good. God has never done anything bad, and he never will do anything bad. It's because it's his character. God is good. It's his character. And and knowing this, this helps us with the definition. Hope. What is hope? Hope is the essence of believing in God's goodness. Hope is the essence of believing in God's goodness. With God, there is a future. There is a hope. You know, if we think for any reason that we've seen God do something bad, um, we need to understand that we are wrong. Our perspective is not correct or is not in order. We need to really understand that. Many times when I hear people accuse God of bad things, it's because their perspective is incorrect. They're not seeing things properly. And we're going to go through, we're going to talk about this some. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. I've done many messages on this, and I usually focus on, God's doing good, but oftentimes people 
they just want to stop right there. We all know that we know that, and all things work together for the good. And then they just stop. They just stop. Like, see, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to come out just right. And they stop. And that's that's an incorrect perspective on this verse. All things work together for good to those who love God. And I've I've done many messages on if you don't love God, why do you think things are going to come out good? Why do you think things are going to come out okay? When you don't love God. That's not what that scripture says. It doesn't say we know that all things work together for the good for those who hate God. That's not what it says for those who love God. And I'm not going to talk a lot about for those who love God. Today, I want to focus on the back portion according to his purpose. According to his purpose. You know, God works all things together for good according to his purpose. Now, let me tie this into our false perspective because you see we have to understand that our view perspective is how we see things and that our view again how we're seeing well, what's our view what all can i see it's very limited from our perspective in life um and and therefore our perspective of what is good and bad is sort of limited i mean in all honesty i could go into a whole let's talk about what is good and bad the whole definition of what is good and what is bad comes from god It's the very character of God. If it's in the character of God, it is good. If it's not in the character of God, it is bad. That's how we understand. That's how, as a Christian, we get into apologetics and philosophy, and you start getting into all this stuff. You know, for for a Christian, and even when I say, you know, you can get into even the philosophies of various religions, what you believe determines what's good and evil. For Christians, for Jews, uh, even Muslims, because they're monotheistic, our morality of what is right and wrong comes from what does our God say? What does our God say? You get into the, the polytheistic religions, Hinduism and others, it gets more cloudy because they have multiple gods, and therefore what does multiple gods say? If this God says it's bad, but this God says it's good, well then who are you going to follow, and what does it really mean? And ultimately, when you get down into atheism, agnosticism, or, you know, these type of philosophies where there is no ultimate authority, higher power, um, that your morality becomes relative. It's just whatever you think is right. And the problem with that sort of morality is the fact that what you think is right and the person next to you think is right is not the same thing. And so, therefore, you know, you start getting in this don't be judgmental aspect even though one person is clearly defining harming another and i've seen people try to defend this argument going well as long as you're not harming someone well that's according to your morality you know but what is another morality the bible says that that's what happened when everyone does what is right in their own eyes and it's considered evil how do we know because god is the standard of good god tells us what is good and what is evil and it's Really interesting when you think about it. Man ate, Adam and Eve, they ate from the forbidden fruit, which is supposed to be the knowledge of good and evil. And yet, when they ate upon it, mankind was thrust into this darkness where we really don't know the difference between good and evil. Thinking we've got to obtain, once once you bite of evil, yeah, you now know good and evil because you've tasted evil, but in tasting evil, it blinds you to what's really good. And that's why God and having a perspective on God and, and hearing God is so important because 
He is good. He defines goodness. He is holy good. And when God works, he works according to his purposes. What does that mean? It means that God's looking at a big picture. His perspective is unlimited. He can see things that we can't see. He, he understands his things. And he, he wants to work for our good. In other words, he only does positive things. There's nothing negative in him because that wouldn't be that wouldn't be so so good. And I share that because when I say that, I know we're sitting there, those of us that know just, you know, a little bit of scripture. Sometimes our enemy knows a little bit and it makes him dangerous. But they go, but but God does all sorts of things that look evil. Didn't he in the Old Testament he kill people? Men, women, and children, didn't he? And what happens is is that they begin to look at, or we can begin to look at, the judgment of God as evil. Now, again, we have to get out of our limited perspective. Is judgment evil? Well, God is good, and he's the judge. So, from a scriptural standpoint, we know that judgment can't be evil because God is the judge and he's good. But let me help us to understand. Let's widen our perspectives, and I have to use human understanding to do this and so if someone had broken into your house and they killed your children raped your spouse beat and abused you and stole your stuff and you were brought before the judge you were brought before the judge and the judge says what has happened and you tell the judge and then they bring this person in that has done this terrible thing to you and you look at this person, don't you want justice? Don't you want this judge to do the right thing? Which is what? Punish this wicked person. They, they, they killed my children. They raped my spouse. They abused me. They stole stuff. They did this. And, and this person is going to do it again and again and again and again. We consider this person evil by those definitions. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't you consider Hitler evil? Wouldn't you consider, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer evil? You know, I know he's not a real person, but the, the movie character Hannibal Ector, who was a cannibal that ate people, he was a murderer, you know, in movies that ate people. Don't you consider that evil? Wouldn't you want good judgment? You know, even in the last few years, People rioting everywhere, some on good causes, some on bad causes. But you see these people rioting, and they want what? They want justice. They want justice. Wouldn't a good judge render good judgments? If you see a judge and he's giving corrupt, evil people pardons, and I don't mean pardons like I forgive you, I'm talking about where he goes, oh, he's evil, but then he's like, oh, I don't see the injustice, and he lets him go because they're friends or something. You would be screaming, what? That, that's evil. That's evil. A good judge brings judgment. Why? Because he's. it's not about judging the evil person. It's about doing right to the, the person that's been wronged, the victim, bringing justice for the victim. Now, I say all this because I know, I know, you know, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Ezekiel 18.20, the soul who sins dies. You know, um, what, all of us, all of us have sinned. Shouldn't we all be in trouble? You know, um, what's this forgiveness of Christ stuff? 
but understanding once you understand the judgment of God is a good thing, he's 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 coming before the victims and bringing good things for the victims. You have to understand that for us, for you and I, for all mankind that has fallen into sin and we are now worthy of judgment that Jesus loved us. He took our place. The judgment of God happened. It happened for sin. The judgment of God happened. It, it, but it happened to Jesus. He took our place in judgment so that we could have his innocence. And that's what his forgiveness is about. It's not that justice didn't happen. It, it happened. You know, it's, it's, it's a done deal. You know, we don't, we don't, quote, go to hell because of the sin, because he's paid for it. We go to hell because we refuse to receive and follow Jesus. He's offering his life and forgiveness. You know, turn away. Turn away and follow him. You know, he'll forgive you. Um, and again, this isn't about that, although that is a wonderful essence of hope. We can have a hope for a future because Christ has paid for us. He's given us away. But I share all this because when God does things, he does things for good. His judgment on the world is to judge evil. That's a good thing for you and I because he's He's forgiven us, but he still has to get rid of the evil. Don't you want a future without evil? Do we not? I mean, don't we want to go to a, a, you know, a place like heaven where there's no evil and there's there's no tears and crying and, and only good things happen? Well, he has to judge sin. He has to judge his evil. That's a, that's a good thing for us. He's forgiven us so that we can have a better future. But today, in this world, when we're living, we're not perfect. And so what, what happens when we... You know, we, we think we, we know what we're doing, but we really don't know. Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Um, we don't know what we're doing all the time. And so even as Christians, we're trying to follow God. Sometimes we do things that we don't know about. You know, we don't, we don't know we're doing bad. We think we're doing good, but we're not. Uh, what happens with that? Well, what happens again? This is just a, an example. It's, it's a human physical example. It doesn't always hold up as perfect, but it helps us to understand. What do you do when your child does bad? Well, if you've got a child that lies all the time, if you've got a child that does bad stuff all the time, what do you do? If you're an evil parent, you do nothing. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of parenting helps today wants you to do. They just, they tell you don't bruise the child's ego. Just let them, you know, and you grow up with evil kids. That's not love. Love will discipline the child. You know, Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, My son, do not despise the chastening or discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens or disciplines and scourges every son who he receives. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one through 32, For if we judge ourselves, we... We would not be judged, but when we are judged, we are chastened or disciplined by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. And then Hebrews twelve eleven. Now, no chastening or disciplining seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous nevertheless. And afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I threw those out there, but let me get up the sum of this. Listen, God loves you, therefore he disciplines you. Why? Because he doesn't want you to grow up bad. 
He doesn't want you to learn evil, bad habits. He wants you to, to understand. The reason we discipline children is because we want them to learn. Because if they don't learn it from us, they grow up bad. And then the law, the real law, will teach them. What does that mean? Well, it could mean they go to prison forever. Their whole lives destroyed. Their futures destroyed as far as living a physical life here on earth. You know, if your son goes to prison for 15 or 20 years, his life is destroyed. That, that, that idea of having a family and a home and a normal life is gone. It, it is, it will never be given back. God can do a lot of restoration, but that's 20 years of life that's been taken from you and you can't get that back. You know, maybe your son does something so bad. Maybe he takes a life and he's in Texas and he gets the death penalty. His life is taken from him. See, that's what the law does. And Jesus, you know, the Lord, he disciplines us. It even says why. Why? That we might not be condemned with the world. He doesn't want us condemned because we're so lost in this sin that we refuse to yield to him. We refuse to follow. He disciplines us. Why? Because he wants us to follow him. He wants us to, he wants us not to be condemned. And that gets into Hebrews 12. It says, no, anytime you're disciplined, it doesn't seem joyful. You're not happy about it. But afterwards, it says it yields peaceable fruit of righteousness. You know, when, gosh, when I was a kid, there was times when I just, I almost like I wanted to hate my parents because of the discipline I received. Then later on, after college, I can remember being with a bunch of guys and us talking about our, our childhood. And we're going, you know what? I don't think our parents beat us enough. You know, they didn't really beat us, but they whipped us with belts. Um, and we laugh about it because we know there was stuff we got away with that they didn't discipline us for. And we begin to understand, you know what? It was their discipline that did us good. They, they loved us, but their discipline did the right thing. There were some hard things that we didn't like at the time, but it produced something in us later. It trained us for righteousness. It made us better people. Seeing that's what God's trying to do. He's trying to, he's trying to turn us into better people because we're walking in darkness and he wants us to walk in light. And that's something that's better. That's what God wants for us. He wants better things. You look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, and I know this is a little long. It's a little bit of a mouthful, but I want us to look at it. It says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed with the filthy conduct of the wicked. For the righteous man dwelling among them vexed, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing hearing their lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to, to reserve the unjust under punishment for judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. 
They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of glories. And sometimes that word glories is translated dignitaries. They're, they're, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Now, there is a mouthful, but there's some parts I want us to see there. Because one, it brings up in the past, you know, the, with the flood of Noah. You know, God was, he brought judgment. But why? He was trying to save the righteous, even if it was one man. He's trying to save them. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, and it says he, he condemned them to destruction. You know why? Because of their ungodly living. But specifically, it was about saving Lot. And then you read that, you know, Lot, he didn't, you know, the angels had to grab him, physically grab him and pull him out of the city. Why? Well, because this scripture says he was oppressed and it says he was tormented in his soul day and night. He was oppressed by their filthy conduct and he was tormented day to day by seeing and hearing their lawlessness. If you know someone that's just oppressed and they're tormented day by day, don't you want them saved? Don't you want someone to come and save them? Or if you're oppressed and tormented day and night, don't you want someone to come and save you? Well, God does. And by doing that, he brings judgment on the evil. It says the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And he knows how to bring punishment on those who, who deserve it. You know, and then when he talks about those that are getting judgment, I want us to see something. They, it says that they they lust for uncleanliness. Well, you know, they're they they just lust to do bad things. But notice, I want to see things. They despise authority. They do not like being told what they're doing is wrong. You know, when you try to help correct someone, and they go, "You're judging me. You're judging me." Well, I'm not judging you, but what you're doing is wrong. I'm not judging you. I'm I'm just. You know, if, if you if you run stop signs and I go, you're running a stop sign, quit judging me, quit judging me. Well, eventually you're going to hit somebody. You're going to hit another car. You're going to hit a pedestrian because you're not stopping at stop signs. You just think that it, it doesn't, I'm not into that, quit judging me. But you're, you're, you're doing something. No, we're not on the law. We're not going to go to, God's not going to kill us for that. But we're doing something that is going to bring pain and suffering. And we're despising the authority of God. You know, so as a Christian, when you're trying to correct someone, you're not, we're not trying to judge them. We're trying to help them understand, you know, there's, there's something better, you know, quit. And, and it's just, I'm sorry, I, I'm just, I'm rambling a little bit here. But this idea of, of quit judging me is like, going, oh, the judge has already rendered judgment. The judgment, you know, this is not in my notes to, to go over with you guys, but we like to read John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world. But you go on and it's like the world, we were already condemned. We were already condemned. Believing in Jesus brings us out of condemnation. We've already been judged. Anyway, despise the Lord. It goes on to say that these people are presumptuous. In other words, they just presume, they, they, they just assume that they know what's going to happen. And they know what's going to happen. They, 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 they think they know what God's going to do. They think they know everything that's going to go about. They, they just presume to have all the answers. It says they're self-willed. It's about being selfish. Do it my way. Today we call someone like that a, a narcissist. They're not afraid to speak evil 
of dignitaries. And a dignitary is someone that represents someone. And then the translation I read said, speak evil of glories in place of the word dignitaries. And you see, and, and I know you're going, what does a glory and a dignitary have to do? It's, it's the word there is being used. It's almost like the word Christian. Christian means little Christ. And when it says speak evils of glories or dignitaries, it, it's someone that is carrying the glory of God. That you represent God. You, you are the light of God and they speak evil of you. And they're not afraid to speak evil. And it's not so much of you as much as the, the glory you carry. You're carrying the light of God. You try to you try to tell someone about the love of God, and they what? You're 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 judging me. They despise the authority that comes from God. They presume to try to know everything, and that you don't know anything. Their narcissistic is all about themselves, and they're not afraid to speak evil about you because you carry the light. I share that. Why, why, why does this have to do with hope? Because this is the world we live in, people. This is the world we live in, and God says, I've given you a future and a hope. You see, even in the darkest night, we can endure it because of hope. Because God is good, we have hope. Psalm 35, weep ye may endure for not, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers him out of all of them. You know, with if God were not good, hope would not exist in the darkness that we face in trials and difficulties, rejection, persecution, affliction. It, just, it all overwhelm us. But hope, the hope of God, it's an essence. It's the essence of believing in God's goodness. And because we believe in God's goodness of the future, that things are going to be better, that he's working for good for me according to his purposes. In other words, he's he's doing something for the purpose that's going to bring about something that's better. Listen, I often talk about there are certain things that are not emotions. We equate with emotions. Love is not an emotion. Joy is not an emotion. When you look at the fruits of the Spirit, none of the fruits of the Spirit are emotional. Kindness is not an emotion. Self-control is not an emotion. These are not emotions. You know, happiness, sadness, those are emotions. They, they're, they're, they're flighty. They're, you know, they, they can lie to us. But they are feelings, and God did give us feelings. And so I want us to do some defining and redefining. Happiness, here's the definition for us. Happiness is a pleasurable state of mind. It's just a state of mind. It's when I'm having pleasure in the state of my mind. That's happiness. It's this pleasurable thing. And the world seeks to produce happiness through an arrangement of external circumstances. It's external circumstances that will stimulate pleasurable feelings and emotions. We want to be happy in life, don't we? I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. When we say that, we want to have pleasurable state of mind. But we put it on external circumstances. And when you put your happiness on external circumstances, you're disappointed a lot. Because our circumstances aren't real. It's not reality. 
So, but if we put our mind upon the Lord who never changes, then that means we can receive pleasure from that, which is a form of happiness. Real happiness comes from having our mind upon the Lord. So I want you to understand this. If you're seeking to be happy apart from the love, faith, and hope in God, your happiness is futile. It's futile. You'll never have it. It will always be fleeting. You know, the scripture says the joy of the Lord is my strength. And joy is not a feeling. It's it's it, it, it's it's not a circumstance. You can be in some of the worst persecution ever. And yet you have the joy of the Lord and it is now your strength. And people go, well, how can you be happy in this circumstance? I've read stories of people that were in, in the Vietnam War, Korean War, that were captured and were thrown into, you know, the the basically the holes that the sewage was. And they were told to shovel. And, and they found, they, they talked about the, the joy. They would be singing about the joy of the Lord. And it, it made their captors so angry because they thought they were going to put them down there and they'd be miserable and they'd die. And instead, the joy of the Lord became their strength. And they couldn't break them of that. And, and and lots of stories like that. The joy is not about outward circumstance. Um, it, it's something inside you. And you see that joy, it springs out of hope. Joy is a product of hope. If you have, you see, when you have the hope of God, the hope produces three things in us. I want to understand this. Hope will produce joy. It may be bad now. My circumstances may be bad, but you know what? There's something better in the future. I now have this joy. It produces peace because, because I understand I have this hope. No matter what is around me, I can be at peace. The Prince of Peace has come and has brought peace to me, and that, that stems from this hope. And then the third thing that it happens is that it produces praise. It produces praise. You want to you want to praise. You want to say good things about the Lord. It's no longer about external circumstance. Your praise will express positive, affirming, gratifying. Oh, the life of God. That's what praise does. Many times, I know we, we've talked about people when you when you go into church, if you're feeling terrible, if you're feeling bad, when your feelings are sad. If you'll praise the Lord and you begin to praise the Lord and suddenly after you do that and you praise the Lord, you come in and go, man, I, I feel so much better. I feel so much uplifted. Well, that was because you began to praise. You didn't feel it. Your feelings, which determined by external circumstances, your external circumstances, instead of stimulating pleasure in your minds, which brings happiness, your external circumstances... Um, we're on bad things and it stimulated sadness, which leads to depression. And so you begin to praise the Lord and all of a sudden your your state of mind goes from a, you know, a sad or depressed state to a pleasurable state, which is producing happiness. Um, that's why so many people can go to what I consider to be dead churches. And then when I say dead churches, there may be thousands of people there. 
and they've got a band and lights and smoke, and it's like going to the, a great concert. And there's and, ooh, and then the preacher comes up there and he does his motivational speech, and it's just really, you know, nothing scriptural about it. There's nothing really God centered about it. It's just it's all about what they're trying to change your state of mind, do something more pleasurable, that then will stimulate happiness. So that's why you can leave those places and you feel good about yourself. But then you're back home and all of a sudden you're dealing with your circumstances at home. Bad marriages, bad finances, bad bad kids, bad parents, bad uh, bad work, bad job, you know, bad neighbors, bad people, um, all this stuff. And it's just, it's crushing in on you. And all of a sudden your external circumstances have gone from something that's stimulating pleasure to something that's now stimulating grief, sadness, depression. Proverbs thirteen twelve says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Proverbs 17.22, a merry heart does good like a medicine. Listen, what I want you to understand here is this. Biblical hope destroys depression. I know many Christians are, are battling depression. And I want you to understand this. You can't, you can't force or fake praise. You can't just go in and say, you know what, I will force myself to praise. Like when I go to church and sometimes I feel bad, I've, oh, if, if I just force myself to praise, I'll feel better. Well, that is true, but it's temporary because it's fake. You're praising the Lord, trying to uplift yourself. And I, I know I've told people to do this, but when you come in and you feel bad, just praise the Lord, you'll feel better. And that's true, but it, it, it's temporary because you've praised, that's, changed your outward circumstances so you praise and that puts you in a stimulated where you feel better and bring some happiness but it's fake because it's based upon your state of mind is now based on outward circumstances and that's it's fake this that's why that's why sometimes the the positive christianity thing from the 80s was so wrong because you can't you can't just i'm just going to force positivity and think that everything will get better that's why so many Christians fight depression. They're trying to force positivity. They're trying to force a fakeness. And it's not really real. Because they're trying to, well, if I do this, maybe my circumstances will become this. That's not how it works. You need to have the hope of God. Because God doesn't change. He is always good. And you grab a hold of God as always good and it produces you suddenly grab all the hope of god all my circumstances are bad but god is working for my good something good something so good is about to come out of this and you grab a hold of the hope of god and see hope brings future you begin to praise into that hope you see and that praise is not about your outward circumstances it's about the fact the essence of god what he has for you and that, that produces your state of mind. You see, now you're, you're when you're talking about state of mind, it's like going, you're trying to develop the mind of Christ. Now you're talking about transforming your human mind into thinking like Jesus. 
When you suddenly read the Word of God, you're trying to transform my... I, I'm reading God's Word. Why? Because I want to know more about the hope from which I believe. And I'm transforming my mind. And that, that hope, the the praise, the joy, the peace. Oh, when you're depressed, you need peace. That, that coming out of that, entering into your state of mind, those things are eternal. Those things are not circumstantial. That change. They're constant. And when you lock into that, it will. It can help break our fleeting emotions. Now, we're still going to suffer emotions, but you won't suffer depression as a constant thing that you smile and you're not. I'm not saying you don't feel sadness. I'm saying you break depression because suddenly... You're putting your hope in a constant joy of the Lord, a constant peace in the Lord, something that brings up praise. And then when you praise Him, those those fleeting emotions will change. And suddenly, you're just dealing with emotions. The depression is broken. Now you're dealing with fleeting things. And that should make us want to praise God. The Lord, and that is a powerful mystery. That's a powerful mystery that we need to understand today. That no matter what you're suffering, no matter what's going on, you know, that you have hope. The God who loves you is good, and He gives you hope. Father, I thank you, God, that you're able to break through our darkest despair, our darkest places, God. No matter what's going on in life, God, you are the light that breaks in, God. You break in, God. You you have power in your love, God, that breaks in, God. You you give us faith, God, to walk and produce and do things in your kingdom. And you give us hope, God, that when all things look bleakest, that it suddenly disappears in light of your goodness and the fact that you have not abandoned us, God, that you are the judge, you are taking care of this evil. And what's going on around us right now is part of a purpose that maybe we can't see, maybe we can't understand, but we know what? We don't have to. We can focus on you and the future and the hope that you've given us. Father, I thank you, Lord. I pray, God, that anyone listening to this message, God, that is is suffering, God, that, that, Father, right now, by the power of your Spirit, in Jesus' name, that you begin to move upon their heart, God, that you begin to ignite your hope in them, God, that, Father, that they begin to think about in their mind the hope that you have, God, and through your Spirit, you will break off this depression, God, that suddenly they will find freedom and peace in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Chronicles of the Kingdom. If you want to listen to more of these lessons, you can check them out at christianimpact.net. And until next time, God bless. Hey.